The Mind Itself is a podcast about mental health, mental health law, and how they affect all aspects of our daily lives. By taking a deeper dive into how our society deals with mental health medically, legally, and practically, listeners gain insight and information about one of America's most pressing and often overlooked issues that affects almost half of all adults in the United States. Hello, and welcome to the Mind Itself podcast. I'm your host, John Whitbeck. We are very pleased today to have a very interesting guest to help us understand the intersection of the law and mental health, which is exactly what this podcast is all about. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that our chief mission here at The Mind Itself is to break the stigma of mental illness and bring it into the forefront and to the mainstream. And with us today is Jason Bryn, JD, who is the manager in ADA program management for Centene Corporation, number 41 on the Fortune 572,000 employees. So this is a man that knows a little something about disability law and disability services in the corporate world. Jason, thank you for being here today. Thanks, John. Yeah, excited to be here. So excited to share a little bit about my background, career, and then really dive into uh, some substance of what the employment landscape is like for people with disabilities and specifically for people uh, with mental health. Mental health, as you know, John, is now the number one medical condition in the workplace uh, for which people request accommodations for. It used to be back impairments. And over the last two years, especially now this year in 2020 with COVID and other uh, related things in society, it has become mental health. Yeah, which is exactly why I wanted to do this, uh, not just to get you on as an excellent guest, but to highlight really workplace accommodations for mental illness is something that we're going to be facing in the law now in an increase, especially during COVID and after COVID. And we don't know what the after effects of COVID are going to be on, on our Americans' mental health. So Jason, uh, why don't you give us a little background your career is incredible and something I think our listeners would find really interesting. So give us the rundown of your journey through your career. The overview is I've been in this space 25, 30 years, and I started from my own personal experience. I'm a person with a disability myself. I'm a blind, visually impaired. I'm one of three generations in my family with a visual impairment. I understand disability from my own personal experience, which really has made it a passion I have retinitis pigmentosa, and my mom has it. I have it. One of my three children has it. It is hereditary in nature and degenerative. When I lost a lot of vision in my early 20s, I lost my, basically, I lost my first job uh, out of college because uh, I didn't tap into accommodations. It took two years, John, to go through what we call low vision or blind readjustment uh, through rehabilitation training. And in that process, I was on short-term, then long-term disability with my employer, and then Social Security disability. And as Social Security disability is designed for, it really was a springboard to allow me to get retraining and re-enter the workforce, which I did within a three-year period. And I went to law school. <laughs> and I went to law school to be uh, that resource for other people that I didn't have related to disability when I was in that situation. And it was the early 1990s, which... What we're going to talk about is the Americans with Disabilities Act, which is the preeminent for private employers, for federal government employers, and federal contractors. There's also the uh, Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which is the same requirements for accommodations in the workplace, but in the private sector for those employers that have more than 15 employees, it's the Americans with Disabilities Act which really allowed me the opportunity from my own personal experience to see that the biggest challenge for people with disabilities besides transportation and other things is really the workplace. 
which is being independent and able to make a, a living wage and, and able to support their family. So that's where I wanted to go from my own personal experience. And so through law school, basically what I did is, is in 20, 25 years, I've uh, from have my own law firm to have worked in a multitude of sectors from being an ADA attorney for a county to assisting a university with ADA compliance to then working in uh, in corporate America with Fortune 500 companies such as Lockheed Martin, BAE Systems, uh, Centene University, and prior to that, uh, Centene Corporation, and then prior to that was Navy Federal Credit Union. And in those capacities, for me, in the early 90s, it really started out more of the reactive, right, is assisting well, advocacy, those that, right? I mean, you, you were an advocate yeah. for individuals with disabilities based yep. on your experience. And, right. and it really started out as, as enforcement of law enforcement after someone was discriminated. That's usually what you look at for attorneys. What right. I really found my passion was, was making sure, uh, making a difference for organizations and employers to comply to not only comply with the black letter of the law, but the spirit. And what's happened over the past 25 years, we just hit the 30th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act in in July, July 26. And in that 25, 30 years, the last 25 years, what has happened in corporate America is it's really moved away from looking at a way of evaluating employers used to evaluate and look at ADA accommodations as to spend all of the time and effort both in litigation and and in general with in employment of evaluating the first 15 years was saying, hey, is a person eligible for accommodations? Meaning, are they a covered individual under the ADA? Do they have an ADA covered medical condition? And now in 2008, the ADA Amendments Act was passed, which really removed that away from the employer and no longer had the focus on whether or not a person was a qualified individual with a disability, meaning do they receive protection? And really, from an employment perspective, the focus turned to let's just assume most people are. That meets the individualized definition, and let's not have that the focus, but let's have the focus focusing in on what accommodation solutions would remove barriers. And that's where I was attracted to 25, 30 years ago, and for the last 15 years, that's where I've been in corporate America, which is helping establish and create. And with Centene Corporation, I've in the last year and a half, I've created from the ground up a centralized accommodation function that we now with 72,000 employees, I have a team of 10 people that I've trained as ADA experts. And their role is we evaluate and explore accommodation solutions over 700 a month. And, and really, that's what we see from my experience is usually see if you take in the size of an employer and you want to see about how many accommodations a month they have or should have, it's between, it's under 1%, it's between three quarters to 1%. So, so that's exactly what we have, right? We have 72,000 employees and we're averaging the last two months over 700. That's um, so, actually recurring accommodations, right? That's not 700. Yes. Yes. And those are new requests each and every month. Exactly. Wow. Jason, if you could, for those folks out there that are listening and don't understand exactly the framework of the ADA, I know it's gone through a lot of changes since its uh, inception. Could you explain just generally the framework of the ADA to our listeners? In the employment context, because that's our focus, which is let's look at the employment context. Title I, uh, there's multiple titles that impact 
from employment to transportation to public accommodations, which you would think of stores and going out in the public. But what we're focusing on is employment. And the primary responsibility for employers is an affirmative duty. And that affirmative duty is to provide reasonable accommodations. And that's what we're focusing on. Now, the reality is, is only a small percentage of individuals with medical conditions and individuals with disabilities, do they need accommodations? We estimate that 15 to 20% and sometimes less of people with disabilities in the work setting need accommodations. So what is an accommodation? Well, the easiest way before we do examples is just to kind of describe it in layman's terms. And basically, it's a change or it's a modification of the way things are done, right? It could be a policy change, a policy modification that allows a person the opportunity to perform their job or have an equal opportunity in employment. So think of myself, right? I'm blind, visually impaired. So what are my limitations? And that's what we focus in on is we don't focus in on on what the condition is, but it's just what the limitations are. So for me, I can't see well. So how does that impact my job? Well, I'm not able to read standard size print. So I'm not able to, if I'm reading a document, I can't read the document. And if I'm using a computer, I can't read the screen. So what is that for me? So for me, it's assistive technology, right? And it's text to speech, right? Which is a screen reader, And it's also enlargement magnification that allows me to really blow up my computer screen five to seven times is usually what I use on a, I change it every day, but I blow it up to be able to read and I change my color contrast to inverted color. So instead of the white or light color background with black lettering, the way my eyes work with the limited vision I do have, I use a black background inverted color with a white or very bright contrasted, bold, enlarged. You know, and I basically have like four words on a screen. So for me, in, in using the example of an accommodation, that would be an accommodation that what allows me to perform my job, to read and access information and material where otherwise I wouldn't. So again, think of it in that way. So not every person with a medical condition needs an accommodation, but the idea is that without this, I wouldn't perform my, be able to perform my job. In other words, when do issues come up of need for an accommodation? And the answer is if I can't perform the job or I'm having problems without the accommodation. The job. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Is there a, a quick example or two you could give of accommodations that you've engineered as part of your oversight in, in Centene for those suffering from mental health issues? Of course. Yeah. And that's really what we want to talk, talk about. There are a ton. It all depends upon the situation. So there's modified work schedules or a schedule change. So for example, let's say a person is uh, going through a medication change, right? And they're getting stabilized on a new medication. And, and so let's say the result of that is it interrupts their sleep, right? And they're not able to think straight and they're not able to concentrate and they're, you know, they're falling asleep, not able to sleep until five or six at night. And now they normally get up at seven and or work by eight. So let's say in this situation, a person is going through a medication change and to get, and it's usually a six to eight or eight to 12 week time to get stabilized on a new med, right? So in that situation, oftentimes we look at, well, what's the barrier? In this situation, it's attendance. A person is unable to frequently um, get to work at eight o'clock and therefore they are being penalized and they're, they're having late tardiness. Right. An accommodation 
So the first thing we look at is what is the need for an accommodation? Well, I'm not able to perform my job. Hey, what about if I work later, right? So instead of working eight to four thirty, what if during this eight week period of getting stabilized on my medication until until I can get my sleep again stabilized, what would work for the business in my job that would allow me to to work? So for example, if I'm working in a job that has a lot of autonomy that allows me that there really are, while there's core business hours, I can actually do my job at any time of the 24 hours. If that's the kind of operation or business that you're operating in, then that would would be conducive to that kind of an accommodation where, okay, I can start at 10 or 11 and I just extend my day to, to 7, 8 o'clock at night, right? Now, let's say a person is working retail, right? And of course, you know, their hours would be, let's say, they work uh, eight, eight to four, well, or something like that. Well, the request would be for this period, can I work a different shift, right? Can the business adjust my schedule for this limited period of time that would allow me to, to still come to work and do my job? But again, notice the modification is just a schedule change. So that's one example, John. I probably have like 10. <laughs> I'm sure you do. One quick question though, does the ADA treat mental health differently than other disabilities? Great question. And it is no different. It's no different than a person who has cancer, a person who's in a wheelchair um, or, or anything else. And again, one of the things that we see is obviously in the workplace, there's visible or apparent medical conditions. And then the most of them, over 85% of medical conditions in the workplace are unseen. You can't see them. We look at a person and we can't tell right? The ones that are visible are usually what everybody thinks of, right? A person who's blind, visually impaired that uses a cane or a dog, a person in a wheelchair that or some other device or, or use for, for mobility, right? A cane or something like that, or a person who is deaf, who when, when speaking, you can tell. But the rest of, for the most part, the rest of the medical conditions are not visible. And as a result, one of the things that the ADA allows is in those situations and expects is in those situations where it's not visible and we can't tell, an employer cannot tell that a person has it, where in most situations, every employer is going to ask for supporting medical documentation. And the reason for that is because the ADA requires the employer to understand what the limitations are, right? So what the functional limitations are, how it impacts the job, so that the employer can then explore solutions, accommodation alternatives. So there's, there's several pieces there. So the first is, we call this the interactive process. Notice the words. And this is legal term, intera- interactive process. Means it's a partnership approach between the employer and the employee to help get the information to understand the functional limitations, the medical restrictions, and the symptoms from their underlying medical condition. So let's, let's take that for a moment. So let's say a person has PTSD, post-traumatic stress and panic attacks, okay? Well, how does that manifest itself? When they have a flare-up or an episode, what symptoms and medical restrictions and functional limitations are we seeing? person isn't able to think clearly. They're not able to concentrate, right? Um, they, they may be uh, startled from another person that then they go into a physical symptoms with a panic attack where they're unable to breathe, they sweat, they can't think straight, they can't concentrate, they're basically unable to work or drive or do other things that they might be able to do. Now, as we all know, 
those of us with medical conditions, we know that flare-ups may not be all of, all of the time. But whether a person has a flare-up or whether their limitation is always in existent, you're still covered under the ADA. There's a specific definition, but as long as it is substantial limit, one or more major life activities. And again, what we're looking at is a chronic health condition. But from a mental health perspective, almost all mental health conditions qualify because either you have a history of it or, again, it's impacting you when you have the symptoms or you have the flare-up or permanently. Do you have experience with uh, this interactive process from your own creation? You, you talked about how you were uh, responsible for 10 employees that you've trained as ADA experts. Is this something you came up with or is this mandated by the ADA and the regulations that were surrounding it? Great question. The, the EEOC, uh, which is the enforcement, the federal government enforcement agency, and each state has their own state reciprocal um, state enforcement agency requires this. It is part of the regulations and it is part of the Americans with Disabilities Act statute, which it, it is interactive dialogue process. Now, how an employer goes about that process is what is up to each and every employer. There are specific best practices, but the requirement is anytime a employer knows of or should have known, and that's the language, an employer has a duty to not provide accommodation, but to explore accommodation when they know of or should have known of a person's limitations or impact uh, related to a medical condition on their ability to perform their job. So when does it come up? So John, what happens is usually is when a person is going through an issue with work where they're not performing and, and it's related to their medical condition. So let's just think of some of the things we're talking about, attendance, regular and predictable attendance is required for all, for most positions that everyone holds. And if a person isn't able to regularly come to work and, and work, then they're not going to be qualified for their job. There are times where leave, whether it be intermittent leave or continuous leave or coming in late or, or again, an intermittent leave absence can be an accommodation under the ADA. And so in that kind of situation, what's required, again, is this interactive dialogue process that, that the employer has a designated person to help, in partnership, understand what the person's limitations are, to explore solutions, and then to see what would work for the employee, and then to work with management and the employer to see what would work for them. We call it a win-win solution, right? In other words, what is an accommodation? It's simply a productivity tool. It's something that we put in place that allows a person to be successful, right? To be productive, to be successful, to be successful in their job and a successful employee. In other words, to meet expectations, right? So think of the example we used with the modified work schedule, right? By changing the schedule, there's no cost. It just allows the person to work and to meet their medical need. And still, while they're at work, they still have to meet expectations, but allows them to now meet attendance requirements where before the mornings aren't good from the, for them, or they might have a flare-up in the mornings because their medication due to their medical condition is impacting their sleep, right, in the example we used. So in that situation, the exploration between the company and the employee is to understand what the limitations are. So again, it's usually going to be in writing. It's usually going to be requested by the medical provider 
to list that and to substantiate and confirm that that's what the limitations are. So the employee has to participate. In other words, if the employee refuses to provide the medical documentation and and there's nothing that substantiates this is the medical need for the employee, then the employer is not obligated to provide an accommodation. So again, there's this element of That's why we call it an interactive dialogue partnership approach that has responsibilities by both. And that's why it's a special dance. It takes a partnership. This is not a adversary relationship. We usually think of law and related to all sorts of concepts within law as two opposing sides. John, this is not two opposing sides. This is both coming together to have a valued employee. One that works for this is the win-win, right? That works for the employee to get paid, to have a job, to be independent, that works for the employer to be a successful, competent employee who does their job, right? And if both can get that, a win-win, then it makes sense from a retention perspective. All employers, especially large employers, they work so hard on retention, right? Is we can reduce our costs, if we can keep uh, valuable employees, And that's what accommodations are about is, hey, with a simple adjustment, we can help an employee remain with us with, you know, 10 years of experience as opposed to, gosh, they're unable to work for two weeks because of a medication change and we get rid of them. Well, that doesn't make much sense for anybody, right? Right. What an extraordinary policy initiative turned into law that goes counter to everything that we're taught as lawyers in our adversarial process. It really is amazing. It really is. And that's one of the things I would recommend from representing individuals to, to now assisting in creating models for Fortune 500 companies to be able to, like the models we now create are not adversary. And I say it in that way because when I was on the other side, the first 10 years, that's how they were. And now I'm doing this work because I am able to create how it should be and create uh, a best practice model. I've been creating as a subject matter expert in this area, John, as you know, been creating best practice models for the last 10 years in corporate America. And And these centralized models take into consideration all of these things. So I've trained basically, you know, ADA consultants for corporations who are employees that have these interactive dialogues. The whole point of my staff, for example, is to meet a person where they are, which is a very vulnerable time. A lot of us going through these situations, right, with mental health is this is a person at their most vulnerable time of their life, right? And to be able to have their employer have a designated person, it's usually an HR person, every company has it different, right? Some are is an HR staff. Some is literally a person that this is all they do. And that's what my, my team does is it's not like, oh, this is a generalist HR person that they handle benefits and all these other things. For me, it's like, you know, I have, I have each person, each team member has a caseload and they work on all they do are accommodations all day long. So again, I train people how to have this interactive dialogue process, how to work with the employee to be a guide in the process to understand, to be an ally, if you want to call it that. On the same way, we're really stewards of the ADA because while our company culture, and that's why they hired me, is they're very employee-centric to focus on the employee. I'm not, my team is not pro-employee and we're not pro-employer. We're more of this, we, we call ourselves ADA stewards. 
which we understand the law and the requirements and the black letter of the law, as well as the spirit of the law. And our role is to meld those together to find a win-win solution that works for the employee, for, for them to be effective and productive in their work, that allows management a win-win that they're able to kind of naturally absorb these accommodations without undue hardship, meaning it's feasible within their business operation, right? So for example, let's talk about the schedule change as an example, because we're throwing out a lot of concepts here. So if you look at the schedule change, let's say we have a, a call center environment, a call center operation, and the nature of that call center operation works from 7 to 5.30. That's it. In other words, customer service rep, all they do are take inbound or outbound calls, but it's only from that 7 to 5.30. So now let's go back to our example of a person with a medication change that is impacting their ability to meet attendance requirements and come to work at 8. So in this situation, right, it's not like we can they can start at 10 or 11 if that works for the business operation, but we can't end their day. The, the last call comes in at 5.30. So see the natural business constraint here? So now in this situation, we may, may not be looking at a work schedule change. We may be looking at a reduced work schedule, right? In other words, if the business operation for this job is only 7 to 5.30, right, then and they start at 10, they're only going to be able to work to 5.30. So they're not going to be able to totally get in their eight hours, but they may get into six or seven hours. And they may just have that reduced work schedule for the period in this example we're using that that they need until they're stabilized on their medication and they're not going to have sleep issues again and they're able to now go back to work at 8 a.m. And again, as long as it's feasible and it works, that would work for the employee and it works for the business, right? It works within natural business constraints. So the constraint here is the business operation call center schedule, then that would be an example of an accommodation that would be effective for both the employee and the business. One of the things that I've learned in nearly 20 years of practice in mental health law and from past guests on the show is the tremendous empowerment that someone feels when they're finally able to come forward and address their mental health issues and how much recovery depends on that first step. And I would imagine, uh, and I wouldn't deign to stand in the shoes of someone in, in, in say your company that's trying to get an accommodation for a mental health issue, but l- let's assume for a second that you're dealing with someone. They're going to be very reluctant, I would think, at first to come in and admit to yes. the staff, HR, you know, in your particular instance, your, your, your experts, that they suffer from a mental health issue. They've been taught their whole life that it's wrong, that it's bad, that it's gross, whatever you know, society has taught them. What steps have you taken in your process that you developed to make it easier on someone to take that first step? And, and I'll even add to that. And those closest to them, John, for years, their loved ones, right? Their parents, their spouses, all the people that care for them and their family have told them in employment and based on their own experiences, I don't tell anybody, hide it. Don't tell anybody in the right. workplace. You, they can't see it. Don't ask, don't tell, don't tell, don't tell. And and that's all that's in your head, right? And here's the rub. But to get an accommodation, you have to request it. <laughs> and that's the key. And that is why I train. And the reality is that 80% of accommodations in the workplace come up in a situation where a person is going through performance management, meaning they're going through 
uh, disciplinary action. Why? Because they're not able to perform their job. Why? Because of the limitation. In other words, we're not going to proactively bring it up if we don't need it. So for a lot of us, right, and I'm speaking about myself as well, is when we first go through this, it's this comfort to be able to ask. And basically, a lot of us have, have learned over the years that we've lost jobs because we didn't ask. So now we're learning and growing and it's like, okay, I need this accommodation. I need to tell my employer. Isn't it true that under the ADA in your interview, it would be illegal to say, do you have a mental health issue? It's irrelevant to whether someone's qualified just like any other disability, but the proactive nature of the employee and the employer does not begin with the inception of the employment, right? Yeah. So let's talk about as a candidate. So any information related to a medical need, you do not need to bring up and do not bring up in the candidacy process, in the employment hiring process, right? The only time that you would need to bring it up is if you need an accommodation in the interview or hiring uh, process, for example, right? Uh. Like a lot of us, people who have a visual impairment, for example, let's say a person's online application process doesn't work with a screen reader and we can't fill out the application. Well, obviously, right. Or a person who is deaf or hard of hearing, let's say may need an interpreter or may in a face-to-face interview or through a virtual interview, they may use a relay service, right? Those are, those are kind of examples, but otherwise, if you don't need an accommodation in the hiring process, you don't bring it up. And an employer right. is called a pre-employment inquiry. They are prohibited from making a pre-employment inquiry, which is a fancy legal ADA term of saying, hey, just what you said, John, it is unlawful to ask disability-related questions in the workplace, whether they're direct or not. In other words, a direct question is, do you have a mental health impairment? Yes or no. Or how about this one? Have you had a worker's compensation claim in the past, right? All of that is unrelated. No, that those are unlawful because they tend to disclose a person with a disability that have nothing to do with performing the job. Now, on the other hand, a lot of us, especially those with visible medical conditions, we will, and it's very important to do it to, if you have a visible medical condition, a lot of times in the hiring process, you want to take the sting out, which it's a little term that I use, which means bring it up and show it as something you've overcome, right? You you show it as a strength, right? Which, hey, you may have noticed, you know, I came in with a cane. You know, one of the, my challenges in life is I'm a creative problem solver because all day long, whatever I do, I have to do things differently to be the person I am, to be the dad I am, to be the husband I am, to come to work, to be able to be on five buses and in in three changes to be able to get here where someone else can just drive and get here in 20 minutes. Took me an hour and a half. You know, again, those kinds of things that make you different, that show problem solving, innovation, right? Again, you look at those skill sets that are transferable to the workplace. Yes. So so now let's go back to employment. So now once you're an employee, same thing. The only time you need to bring it up and and disclose is requesting an accommodation. But here's the kicker. You do not need to, and you should not disclose your medical condition to your supervisor, to your manager. Why? It is not needed. They don't need to know. Every organization will have a person that handles accommodations. Once you have an accommodation request, you can simply ask, hey, I have an accommodation request. 
and it go and the and the manager or the company or you'll see the process will go to a another person outside your management team. And let me tell you why. And John, you know this from a confidentiality perspective and what the ADA requires. The whole purpose of the ADA is to ensure that we're not looking at stereotypes and the things that you talked about and judging a person based on the stigma related to mental health, right? And now that it's so prevalent in the workplace and obviously with COVID and other things that people are dealing with, veterans coming back from war, trauma that, that people deal with in regular life, it is very, very common. Like I said, it's the number one medical condition in the workplace related to accommodations. And so it's unbelievable the difference in the acceptance and understanding and awareness of mental health compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago. And Five so ago. while it's not perfect, it's not perfect. Not even close. What, you, what, what every person needs to know is that there's things that you can do, right? Which is, again, all you need to do is request an accommodation, but you don't have to say what it's for until you're talking to that human resource person. Then that human resource person in function has a responsibility to keep your medical information, whether it be what you share with them in the interactive dialogue process or the medical documentation your treating healthcare provider provides to support your accommodation. That is kept separate in a locked key and file if it's paper or otherwise it's in a separate G, you know, it's in a separate computer drive that, for example, that only that HR team has or person has where the manager and supervisor doesn't have it. And John, why not? Why does a manager or supervisor not need to have it? Why not? <laughs> and the reason is because it's not, it's not needed. It's not right. related to the performance of their job. And that's the bottom line. And that's the idea behind the ADA, which is because it's not relevant. What is relevant is what accommodations you need, but not why. Right? So we're talking in here, we're talking about what the limitation is and it's from PTSD and all that. Well, that is held confidential and not given to the manager or supervisor. All a HR person like myself would be disclosing to the manager is simply what they need to know, which is, hey, I want to explore some accommodation solutions with you. I've worked with the employee, received the medical documentation, and the person has a covered ADA medical covered medical condition, and I want to explore solutions with you. And so then I start to go, and, and I don't say why or what, right? So I don't say there's mental health involved. I don't say it's related to sleeping. But we just go straight into it. You may have noticed that there's been attendance issues, and I can share with you without giving you the details that those attendance issues are related to Sally's medical condition, ADA-covered medical condition. And what I want to do with you is to explore some options which would help the employee now meet regular and predictable attendance. State mental health law is a reactionary. It's uh, There has to be a tragedy at Virginia Tech or with a state senator or something before we actually do something to reform our mental health system. What you've described with the ADA is so fascinating because it's a proactive approach to try to solve a problem that over 50% of adults suffer from. So my question to you is, what, where do you interact with state law on, and I know you work on the ADA and, and that's sort of your expert, but is there state laws that you have to be aware of that also come into play when you're doing what you do with your, your team? 
There are. Each state has a reciprocal state law related to non-discrimination for people with disabilities that have the accommodation component. And all of the states have very similar language and similar similar requirement. In the end, the requirements are virtually all the same, even though just normally there could be a reciprocal state law and a reciprocal federal law. So so for example, if there is a violation, a person, you know, an attorney could bring a ADA accommodation claim both under state and federal law. So they would be similar. So from an ADA employment perspective, the state prohibitions and the state accommodation requirements are the same as federal law. Interesting. California and a few have a few additional interpretations that might just be a little different. Reassignment, for example, as an accommodation is different within different federal jurisdictions and the different federal circuits based on interpretation and and things like that. But otherwise, the legal framework is, is the same. Jason, as we as we close up here, I wanted to ask you if you could. I know you're you're advising a corporation primarily and and helping develop processes to bring accommodations to your employees. But could you give us maybe three main points you would throw out there to a prospective employee or current employee who's struggling with a mental health issue but doesn't know how to approach their small, medium, or large business about getting the accommodations that they're entitled to under federal law? Yeah, and I think this summarizes our conversation very well. I think the first is related to disclosure, when and who. You only need to disclose if and when you need an accommodation, but you're not disclosing your mental health condition. You're requesting an accommodation, which discloses in general you have a disability, but not what it is. Then part of that process in the interactive dialogue process with the human resource professional for your company you're going to participate in the interactive dialogue process, which means now this is where you give the detail. And you're you're going to be asked to have your treating medical provider complete maybe a one or two page form that focuses in on what the the limitations are, the functional limitations, the symptoms, and how it impacts your job. Because that's the inform why does the employer need that? And here's what you need to understand. The employer needs that to be able to find a solution for you. Without that information, they can't help you. So if you don't participate in that process, then you break down that process and the ADA says you're not now eligible for accommodations because you haven't participated. So again, your partnership and participation is very important. Don't view it as adversary, view them as a partner, which is very difficult for a lot of us given prior treatment with prior companies and prior employers, because by its very nature, we have viewed it as us versus management or, but now corporations are viewing it as what's in it for them, the with them, what's in it for them, which is, hey, if we can provide a simple accommodation, this 10-year employee can remain employed, can remain effective, remain productive, and I don't have to go train someone else and take two years to get them up to speed where Sally is. So, So that's the first, which is the accommodation request and the issue of disclosure. The second is participation, which is it's your responsibility as the employee to participate in a non-adversarial way. So again, participation in the interactive process, do what's requested, participate, share candidly, and go from there. And again, in, in partnership. The third is understanding it as a productivity tool. And what I mean by that is the accommodation 
needs to be able to remove your barrier. The barrier is the workplace barrier due to your medical condition. Here's the bottom line. You have to be able to continue to be effective in your position and perform your job, even with accommodation. So let's use my example. Let's say I'm blind, visually impaired, right? We provide me all these tools that I talked about, this assistive technology, the enlarged screen, the screen reader, right? The voice synthesis. But with all those tools, if I'm not able to do my job and I'm not able to perform and meet my production standards and meet my communication standards, regular predictable attendance that's required of all employees, my behavior standards, right, of my professional conduct standards, if I'm not able to meet that, am I exempt from that just because I have a disability? The answer is no. So your third takeaway is you need to be able to perform the job with or without an accommodation. So an accommodation is simply a productivity tool to help you be productive and successful and perform your job. So what does that mean? Even with accommodation, if you still can't perform the job, right, with all those assistive technology things, if I can't do, do the work and meet my expectations, then the company can legitimately, for a legitimate, non-discriminatory business reason, discipline me up to and including termination of employment, John. Okay. The takeaway is that it is a tool to be successful. It is a tool to help you perform. It doesn't exempt you from performing your job. So for example, we get all the time, a person says, well, I have a disability. So I want an accommodation to basically, let's say there's production standards. And instead of 20 cases a day, let's say they're doing claims of 20 claims a day is what they're required. I can only do five, but hey, that's because of my disability. So that's my accommodation. Well, There's something called essential job functions, and that's the essential job function. And the ADA says, hey, an employer does not have to modify the essential job functions, right? So the classic thing is, well, can a blind person be a driver? Well, no, not if they can't see to drive, right? You're not going to exempt a person from from doing the job for which the job is there to be a driver, right? So same thing, right? We have a customer service rep. Well, let's say the person's mental health condition Because let's say, as a customer service rep, you're dealing with a lot of people or members, customers who are angry. And let's say that triggers some post-traumatic stress from past trauma you've had in your life, right? And in the end, you determine, this isn't the job for me and I can't can't do the job. And let's say you work with your therapist and your medical provider and your therapist completes the medical documentation. And now you have a medical restriction that says, I'm medically restricted from performing, you know, inbound and outbound phone calls um, as part of my job. But yet, John, that's my job. I'm a customer service rep. So what happens there? And the answer is, you're now not able to perform your job. So the in that situation and a potential accommodation is a reassignment to a job that you can perform. Think of a back office job where you may be processing things, but you're not on the phone all day with customers or at all, right? It's back office where you're doing paperwork and evaluating claims, but not talking to customers. Right. And that would be- Yep, I can perform that. And that would be a reasonable accommodation as a reassignment to a vacant available job. Now, an employer doesn't have the requirement, is not required to create a job for you. But again, for large employers, this is something like that we do. I My team helps- We do a 10-week reassignment period, and we look to reassign a person in a vacant posted job that does naturally fit uh, within their medical restrictions. 
And Jason, what would be the third piece of advice you'd give to employees? I hit it. The third one was understanding it as a productivity tool. So again, you have to be able to meet meet performance. So again, one, two, three, if you go back, the first is disclosure is you don't need to share uh, with your manager anything just about your mental health. That's my recommendation. There's no need. Now you can, and some people choose to, but there's no need. And the reason again on that is they don't need that information. If they don't have it, they can't use it against you. However, you do have the obligation to share it with HR, who's not going to, sh- who will keep it confidential and not share it with the manager. Number two, then, is participating in the accommodation process. Then, then the third is to know that an accommodation that you have to be able to perform your job with or without accommodation. Again, accommodation as a productivity tool to allow you to meet expectations and to perform your job. Well, Jason, this has been extremely fascinating. I can't thank you enough for being on here. Like I said, the purpose of this podcast is to break the stigma around mental health. What better way than to improve the quality of life of your company's employees by taking seriously the fact that this disability is the most prominent, will continue to be the most prominent that you'll deal with, and the one where you're going to have to fashion the most of your procedures and HR around going forward. So Jason, thank you for helping us understand that. And I would love it if you would come back again, because I think we could talk about this all night. I really do. <laughs> we could, you know, we could. <laughs> well, you're welcome, thank, John. Um, thank you, Jason. Available. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Happy holidays. And we'll, we'll talk to you soon. The Mind Itself podcast is unique in that we look at the intersection between mental health and the law and how it impacts you. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to leave a comment, rate, and review, and share with someone you know. Thanks for listening.